In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs proofs <laughs> that he was alive. <laughs> he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky, and he was going as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back into the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day, and thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, one of the best gifts, or the best gift. <laughs> Thank you so much for our mothers today. Please help us honor them. And like John said, whatever that looks like being a mother, we know that you see the love in their heart. And um, help us to receive the message or receive whatever we came to receive today, whether that be a hug, fellowship, um, and help us give what we need to give today, whether that's our attention, uh, whether that's, again, a hug or a smile. And um, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, a friend came to Cornerstone for the first time a while ago, and I really liked their description of Cornerstone. They said it was uh, comfortably clumsy. And uh, some weeks are clumsier than others. For instance, this week when I forgot to do the offering and also to invite all of you to check in. So we're going to do that. Uh, the people who were taking the offering were like, I thought we were supposed to do that in the middle. We are. So uh, we are going to do this text to check in thing. If you uh, have been at Cornerstone for a bit, you know what to do. You text the word here to this number. Uh, if you're new and you'd like to just be in the loop about what's going on, uh, you, can, you can send the word new to that number there, and it'll ask you just to confirm your number so that you're not like signing up your worst enemy for another email list because we're all tired of getting another email. Uh, so you're sure welcome to do that. We are also going to receive uh, our offering this morning. I forgot that, right? We haven't done that, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do that. Uh, in the New Testament talks a lot about money. That Jesus had, uh, Jesus was pretty straightforward about money. He said, you can't worship God and money. You got to pick. And Paul in the New Testament said, um, let everyone give what they've decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves cheerful giving. And so uh, you're welcome to give in the buckets, which at some point will be passed around. Uh, or you can also give online here, uh, cornerstonetulsa.org slash give, or you can text uh, that number there. Okay, whenever those get passed, I honestly don't know what happened. <laughs> well, those will, that'll happen, okay? 
Well, at the beginning of this year, how many of you were here like from the very beginning? January 21st, 28th-ish? How many of you have been here like from the beginning? Okay, yeah, lots of us. We, uh, we started this year uh, saying that, you know, like in our spiritual life, sometimes things get really sluggish or we get confused, we get off track, uh, especially in Tulsa, which is a, a city with so many churches, with so much uh, going on, that it's easy to get confused or go off track in our spiritual, our walk with Christ, and we need to like press reset. Sometimes we need a hard reset. Uh, the show I like that got canceled, because all of the shows that I like get canceled, uh, is called The IT Crowd. It's a BBC show. And it's an IT department at this big company. And anytime someone calls and they pick up the phone, you know what I'm talking about. They say, IT, if you tried turning it off and on again. Which is like every time my sweet mother calls me with a tech issue, that's generally like the advice. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Because that generally helps. And that's what we've tried to do in our spiritual operating system as we've just gotten started in a new year. Is we want to take a hard reset on things. And we've done it by, by looking at Jesus. And we spent 12 weeks, uh, the first quarter of the year, looking at Jesus and John's gospel and really, for me, like falling in love again, like with Jesus. We read some of these stories, Nicodemus, like the John 3.16 chapter that are so familiar and, you know, they say familiarity breeds contempt, but we tried to slow down and look at Jesus with fresh eyes and found like not only is he good, he's brilliant, he's thoughtful, and he's kind, and he's everything and more that you would hope God to be. And all that we've ever wondered about God, we see in Jesus. So I spent this, this great couple of months just, just staring at him and looking at him from different angles. And, and there's a sense for me of just refreshing and looking at him. And then we got into a couple of weeks just talking about resurrection, how resurrection is like the linchpin of everything that we believe as followers of Jesus. Resurrection, if it didn't happen, like all of this is a waste. We should go find better hobbies. We should stay at home and wear our fat pants and like watch television. If the resurrection didn't happen, all of this is just a big waste. But the resurrection is the linchpin. And as we talked about in 1 Corinthians, the resurrection was well attested to empirically by, by witnesses, by eyewitnesses, hundreds of them who saw the resurrected Jesus and, and then went on to give their lives in testimony that he was, in fact, raised. And then it leads to this story that Kristen has just read in Acts chapter 1 uh, called The Ascension. And the ascension is not an elevator ride up to heaven. The ascension is Jesus taking his position of authority at the right hand of the Father. And it's this beautiful, uh, beautiful text. Uh, and so as we're five months into the year, we're almost six months into the year. I have on my whiteboard in the office right now, like a calendar of everything that's going on the rest of the year. And I think surely we're not this far into it. But we're, we're about halfway through the year. And as we've, we've kind of done this first chapter as a church together and looking at Jesus and resurrection, and now we're starting a new one, and it's appropriate then for us to look at the story of the birth of the church in Acts. In Acts, if you've ever read it, is gorgeous, especially the first couple of chapters. And, and, you know, you read it and you see, like, the purity of the church. They're holding everything in common. They're giving generously. They're acting courageously. And you think, yes, I would love to, to be like that, for the church to be like that. But many of us have, like, lived long enough and we've had enough false starts where we thought, like, no, this small group is going to get it right. This house church or this new church. Or maybe you came to Cornerstone thinking, like, well, maybe they'll get a little closer to the mark than the other churches I've tried. And many of us who have been at this for a while are seasoned enough that our expectations are tempered. Because not only have we seen how broken the church is as an institution, we've also seen how broken we are as individuals. 
And so our idealism is, is challenged by our experience that things aren't quite as easy as we might hope. And so as we're going into this emphasis on Acts, we're not doing it with any arrogance or any naivete that like we're going to be the ones who get it right. We're going to be the ones who finally nail it after 2,000 plus years of church history. So that's, that's not us. There's this guy, Jean Vanier. Don't I sound smart referencing Jean Vanier? I don't even know if that's how you say it. I saw him on Twitter. <laughs> he, said, he said there are three phases to community life, especially in a church, three phases. The first phase is idealism, where you think as you're getting started, it's like the honeymoon phase. It's so perfect. Everything they're doing is great. And then you enter into the second phase of community life, which is conflict, where you realize, well, it's good, but it's not that good. And you, you see the brokenness that the other people are just like you. I got an email from someone in the church this week saying, like, you show up on a Sunday morning and you think everyone's kind of got their act together. It's come, it's come to that. It's come to my Pyrex bowl. <laughs> wow, sure, I'm glad somebody brought it back. Wow. God help us. Very comfortably clumsy, right? Okay, wow, we got buckets everywhere. Anybody else got a bucket? Anybody? Okay, go for it. Man, we're going to get a lot of offering today. We got so many buckets. If they miss you on the first pass, you just go with the second. You good? Man, that was great. It almost felt planned. It wasn't. It wasn't. At the last service, I forgot to fill the, the cups with juice. So we, that was interesting. Comfortably, comfortably clumsy. Okay, conflict. Wait, they're not perfect. They forget to put the juice in the communion. They forget to do the offering. Also, like, we're just deeply broken, which can lead us to that third phase of community if you choose it. And the third phase of community is covenant. It's, yeah, I know what my ideals were, and I see how realistically broken we are. And you could cut and run and go find it, try to find another church that makes it work. Or you can covenant together and say, we're going we're gonna to take a swing at this together. We're going to trust that Jesus didn't make a mistake when, when he sent the Spirit to give birth to the church. And we're going to bind ourselves to one another and hope that Jesus hasn't given up on the church. And, you know, it's not, you know, it's not for no reason that many of us have become disillusioned about church. It's not for, for, no, for bad reasons that people say, I'm done with this thing. Because uh, the, church, the church can be a mess. The church is certainly divided. I know that all of you, as a hobby, like to study up on the current state of the United Methodist Church and read the blogs and tweets. It's really fun, really life-giving. The United Methodist Church is a, is a mess, a lot of division. In the last two weeks, the Southern Baptist Convention in the United States has seen a lot of meaningful uh, division and infighting. You've got denominations, you've got church splits, and you think, man, church is a mess. It's divided. Also, there's a sense that maybe we've, we've distorted the message. We've distorted what Jesus was setting out to do. You've got, I mean, the, the very idea of like celebrity pastors or churches, sometimes you feel like they're trying to sell you something or they're trying to build their brand or their platform. You think, surely this is what, wasn't what Jesus was after. And then we'll just get distracted. Uh, there was a study that was released this week that was explaining some of the decline in, the, in church attendance and engagement in the United States by the partisan politics of the, of the church. Because we've been so off message, we've been so heavily engaged in partisan politics, it's affected engagement, especially among millennials and those who are younger. There's meaningful reason to be disillusioned. 
about the church, and it's understandable to feel that way and even want to give up. But we're, So in the midst of all that confusion, we're going back to our birth story to find a benchmark, to a baseline for this is what Jesus was shooting for. And we're praying that together we'd fix our eyes on Jesus and hold on to the hope and the confidence that he hasn't given up on the church. But we can't talk about the birth of the church without talking about the Holy Spirit. And some of you who know my story are like, an ORU graduate is about to talk about the Holy Spirit. Run! Like, it's about to get weird. I thought they were normal. And uh, like your response to the idea of talking about the Holy Spirit indicates, you know, for many of you, your, your, your experience in the past. And there's a spectrum of, of our response to the Holy Spirit. There's some of us who like grew up in churches where the Holy Spirit had like taken a bow after the day of Pentecost and hasn't been around since. And, you know, some churches believe in this secessionist idea that, uh, that the Holy Spirit has just stopped. He's not active in the life of the church. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got like the deep end of the charismatic movement. And so if you know the reference I'm about to make, you know that you've been in the deep end. If you've ever heard someone claiming that the Holy Spirit gave them golden teeth or like golden, Abby knows what I'm talking about, golden like sparkles from on high, you know you've been on the deep end of the charismatic movement. I'm not joking. That's real. You can Google it. But in between, we've got like many of us who maybe you've said, like, I grew up with a really healthy idea of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's integral to my life. And then probably most of us are like, I know there's something going on there, but I can't, I can't quite label it. And there's enough weirdness going on that I'm just going to kind of keep my distance. We've got to talk about the Holy Spirit. When I was growing up, I grew up in a church that I loved and came to Christ in that church. I'm so grateful to this church. Um, but I did have one funny experience. I went to church camp as a third grader in Turner Falls, Oklahoma. And we had chapel every night that was mandatory, also mandatory jeans and socks and shoes, which meant in 98-degree summer weather, we were all sweating our guts out, and it was, like, delusional probably. But uh, at the end of the chapel service one night, they invited anybody up to the front who wanted to speak in tongues. And that was a big deal. And I was a third grader. What does that put me, like, 10 or so? And i like, man, if the Holy Spirit's got a gift, I want that. And I, believe, and I believe in speaking in tongues. I still believe in speaking in tongues. But I, I went to the front, and I remember exactly who prayed for me, and, and she said, just start talking. And so I started making the sounds of other people that I'd heard, and after a couple seconds, she said, you got it. And I didn't know if I had. And so well-intentioned from third grade to 10th grade, I, I, I did that. But I always wondered if it was real. And for me, I came to the conclusion that in my experience, I was faking it. Now, if God wants to give me the gift of speaking in tongues, I would love it. And in fact, I've asked for it. But for me, as a, as a third grader and to a tenth grader, I had a lot of confusion about the whole thing. And maybe, maybe you have as well. And the Holy Spirit's been a source of confusion. But the Holy Spirit wasn't given to be like this circus act. The Holy Spirit wasn't given to be like this freak show to make people ooh and ah. It's not supposed to be, the Holy Spirit's not a party trick. The Holy Spirit, more than anything, was sent to draw us to Jesus and to make us like Jesus and to empower us to witness, to be an ambassador for Jesus. When it comes to Holy Spirit stuff, it should smell like Jesus. That's the point. That's the test. And I, there have been times where I've been inclined to say, man, Jesus, it would be so much easier if you had just stuck around. 
If you'd been the one to deliver these sermons all these years and not all these pastors who we find things out about later, it'd be so much easier if you stuck around. But what's amazing as we talk about the Holy Spirit is that Jesus disagreed. And we see this in in John chapter 16. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. It's for your good. He said, unless I go away, the advocate, which is another word for the Holy Spirit here, Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when it was time for Jesus to ascend in this text that Kristen just read, uh, Jesus was anticipating uh, the advent, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so he gave the church two commands and a promise. Two commands and a promise. The two commands were this, stay and wait. And the promise was you'll receive power. He said, stay in Jerusalem. So they'd been in Jerusalem for his passion, for his crucifixion, for his resurrection, and they hung around. Now, he said at his ascension, stay in Jerusalem, and it it wasn't for no reason. He had a strategy that God had been orchestrating something great and something beautiful long before. I've never noticed this. Jesus knew that within seven days, millions of Jews from all over the known world were going to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Pentecost, which is like the, the giving thanks for the harvest and remembering how Yahweh gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Within a week, millions of Jews, from the, the, like speaking different languages from different nations, were all going to be in one place. There's a reason that tongues were given, and we're going to talk about that uh, next week. There's a reason the tongues were given. It was strategic because within a moment, when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, there was going to be a pulse that went out through the entire Roman Empire and into places like Africa and ultimately to India, to Spain. Because really quickly, people were going to hear the gospel in their own language. He told them to stay because he's about to do something. He tells them to wait. And to wait on God is an act of faith. It's a confidence that God's going to fulfill His promises. Um, I'm, a, I'm a thinker. I'm like, I'm slow. And my friend Todd is a doer who's like, let's, let's knock this out. We redid our floors in the office this week. It's awesome to have a doer around when you want to do that kind of stuff. But a command to wait and to stay can, be, can almost feel like unfaithful for those of us who are inclined toward like activity and doing stuff. But he told him to wait uh, waiting feels like uh, passive, but to wait on God is an active thing. And they did it. Uh, verses 12 to 14 that we didn't read says they, they got this upper room. They told us who was in there. I never noticed this. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. The disciples were there, men and women of about 120, fewer than the people who are in this room were in the upper room, and they were waiting because Jesus had told them to do, and they were praying, and they were waiting, and they were hoping, and they were asking for whatever it was that Jesus was about to do. And Jesus said in verse Acts 1.8, says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you so that you can be my witnesses all around the world. These three words, to stay and wait and, and receive, feel passive or inactive, but it's actually quite the opposite. These commands that feel passive are actually quite the opposite. They reflect this active intention. And for the church and also for us, there's this realism that we're not cunning or smart enough or brilliant enough on our own to orchestrate the kind of life change that we all hope for. None of us, you know, there's the the, the saying that the the hardest habit in the world to change is somebody else's. 
You've been praying for a family member. You've been praying for someone you care about to experience life change. And you've experienced you, you can't change them on your own. The kind of transformation that we need as individuals, the kind of systemic institutional transformation that we need to make this a just world is not something that we can produce on our own. And so to stay and to wait for the power that the Holy Spirit gives is an act of trust and faith. If the disciples intend to cooperate with this next chapter of the ministry of Jesus, they're going to stay and they're going to wait to receive. But if they don't want to wait, if they don't want to cooperate, if they want to use this as their exit to the story, they will leave, they will go, and they will move on. But this waiting is like central to God's story. It's the invitation. Israel, Judah got in trouble when they refused to wait. This was uh, God's words through the prophet Isaiah in, in Isaiah 30. So this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and in rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. And this underscores for me something that I have learned in studying John's gospel, uh, this spiritual reality of the power of intention, of intention. If you want to follow Jesus, He's going to work with you on that. If you don't, you can come to church, it feels good, you can like make friends, but if you ultimately don't want to follow Jesus, it's probably not going to happen. If that's as far as you want to take it, that's as far as it's going to go. But the, I think we find that the heroes of our faith have found that there's a power and there's a danger in setting our intention on following Jesus, setting our intention on saying, I'm, I'm open to whatever you want to do. There's also a danger to saying, I'm closed, I'm done with the whole thing. Uh, I've been thinking about this idea of being open to the Spirit. Um, I'm reading a book by Scott McKnight called Open to the Spirit. I had had, you know, because I grew up in a, in a Holy Spirit-drenched environment, I wanted to get to know the other two fellows in the Trinity better. And so I pressed pause on the Holy Spirit for a while. And it's been for me in the last seven to eight years of coming back with fresh eyes and saying, I'm open, I'm open. And Scott McKnight makes the case in this book that Jesus was the most open to the Holy Spirit human who ever existed. And you look all through the Gospels, Jesus is reliant on the Holy Spirit in the same way that we're invited to. Jesus received the Spirit descended like a dove at his baptism. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he'd be tempted. He came back from his temptation full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the most Spirit-drenched person to ever live. And we think we can get by on our own uh, brilliance, and we can't. We're fooled. Uh, I've been thinking about the idea again of being open to the Spirit. We have uh, corporate prayer gatherings every week. Uh, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but I was sitting right there on Thursday thinking about what we would be talking about the next few weeks, preparing to talk about the Holy Spirit, and I just felt impressed. Like, I'm going to, I want to make it known that I'm open. And speaking for myself, God, I'm, I'm open to whatever you got. And, and for my children, for my family, we're open. But also just, man, thinking about us. Jesus, we're open to whatever you want to do. Whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, we're open to that. And we're also closed to whatever the forces of darkness want to do. And I'm not, like, like, I'm not trying to be weird. Some of you are like, this is like Twilight Zone kind of stuff. No, it's not it. It's like just the power of intention. I'm open, open to the Spirit. We finished prayer at 1 o'clock on Thursday, 
And then Thursday afternoon, like, it's just like the lights kind of went dim. It's like I put on dark sunglasses. I didn't get anything done Thursday afternoon. I started feeling uh, really alone. It's the best way I can describe it. Just really isolated and alone Thursday afternoon. Uh, I felt like there was a cloud following me everywhere I went. It was just this kind of like generalized, like, I, I would even use the word like depression. It, it came out of nowhere. It was a fun week. It was a good week. I, I like what I did. But I just felt heavy. Went to bed Thursday night heavy. Woke up Friday heavy. And I was with my boys Friday morning and just felt like there was this, like, just dark in my mind and in my heart. And, uh, and, and uncharacteristically so. And uh, I, I took a nap for like 20 minutes Friday afternoon while the kids were playing. And I woke up and, and I remembered when I woke up, what was I praying 24 hours ago? Things that I had said yes to. I'm open to the Spirit. But also things I'd said no to. And I had this thought, did you think this was going to happen without a fight? And I texted Emily and I texted a, a buddy of mine who's a pastor. And my friend texted me this passage from Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to read it to you. He said, uh, Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then I read this. He said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I had for that moment clarity Man, I have set my heart to follow Jesus and say, I'm open to this. And did I think it was going to happen without a fight? And when I read these words, God's words, I, start, I was standing in the kitchen. I started weeping, weeping. And I went to the, the chair in our living room, and I just, and it was like, I even, if there are little kids in here, earmuffs. I even said like a couple expletives to the devil which I don't normally do. Not normal. I'm not prescribing that, but I did that. It was like, seriously? And I knelt down and I prayed and I said, just underscored again, God, I'm open. I'm open. I'm open to whatever you got for me, for my family, for our church. We are open. And I just felt like this cloud lift. I felt like this, this for me, like this spiritual release. And I'm not like, uh, like, like, like I'm probably more cautious than average because of, you know, going to ORU, because of being around it a lot. Like I just, I'm sensitive to that stuff. And I felt this release that set my intention and, and there was opposition to that, but God was with us. And Jesus is in charge and I just kind of said, relaxed into that. Jesus is in charge, it's, it's okay. And it convinced me that these talking points, this theme, this idea of being open is where the money is at for us. The, that sense of opposition, as strange and inexplicable as it was, convinced me, man, we are moving in the right direction. Let's press into that. And I had the thought not long after I prayed, I, I got up and I ran to the, my iPad and I typed out, there's nothing more threatening to the kingdom of darkness than a church empowered by the Holy Spirit. And there is nothing so deceptively irrelevant as a church that is polite and well-run and well-attended that doesn't care a thing about the Holy Spirit. Think about, like, being in a car that has no gas in it. It's like, man, it may be really well-built, but it's not going anywhere. Or you can be in the middle of a lake on a sailboat and the sail's down, the wind's blowing, you're still not going to get where you're hoping. We as a church want to hoist our sail wherever the wind of the Spirit is blowing. That's where we want to go, and with force. 
And so going into next week in particular, next week is what we call in the church the day of Pentecost. We remember the day of Pentecost, how the Holy Spirit first fell. I've just been praying within myself, like, God, may I be open to whatever you got. And I'd ask the question to all of you, thinking about the power of intention, thinking about that God will ultimately honor what you hope to be true. Are you open to the work of the Holy Spirit? Again, I'm not talking about a freak show. I'm not talking about a circus act. Are you open to the work of the Holy Spirit to draw you close to Jesus, to make you like Jesus, and to empower you to witness for Jesus and to live for Jesus in, in your world? Are you open to that? You can take an honest assessment of your heart. If the Holy Spirit shows up, are you like, yeah, I want to opt into that? As we receive communion, uh, communion is such a great ending to a Holy Spirit sermon because, like, the test of the work of the Spirit is how much like Jesus is this? How much like Jesus does this smell? And so we're going to come, and we're going to come with empty hands, and maybe for you, in coming with empty hands, with open hands, it'd be your prayer, I'm open to whatever you've got. And maybe you'd say it maybe for the first time. Maybe you've had like no exposure to the Holy Spirit. Maybe, you've, maybe it's been a while. Maybe you're like, heck yeah, they're talking about my thing. I love it. As we come, and would you come, you know, with open hands and being ready to say yes to whatever Jesus has for you. And then here's my other ask. Every week we, we do these times of corporate prayer. Uh, we just decided to stop doing Tuesday morning. Seems like it's a time that's just not working. Um, but Thursday, from noon to one, every week, we have corporate prayer in here. Sometimes it's three people. Sometimes it's ten people. Uh, but we have a quiet hour to pray. And I always think, I always sit right there, and sometimes I'll look back at the little smattering of, of, of Cornerstone people who are here and praying, and I think, it's like we're sitting in an airport terminal, like we're waiting for our plane to show up. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're waiting on the Lord. We're hoping we're waiting for this, this thing that's more than us and bigger than us to happen. We said as we were going all through the series on John, John 15, 5, like the secret to a fruitful and flourishing life. Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear fruit. You'll be fruitful. The test of our fruitfulness as a church is whether we're remaining in Jesus. And the sweet thing is the work of the Spirit is drawing us closer to Jesus like a tether, lassoing us in and, and pulling us in. This is the song, let your grace now, let your spirit now, like a fetter, like a chain, bind my wandering heart to thee. If we want the spirit, if we want the spirit to be at work in our lives, make that your intention. As we come to the table, say yes to Jesus. So you can say it in your own words. You can kneel here and just make your prayer known. Um, it doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to be tears. Like it, it just simply, I understood half of what he was talking about, God but I'm open to whatever that is. Whatever it is that brings me closer to Jesus, I'm open to that. That'd be an awesome prayer. And uh, as we come to the table, I'm going to invite us just into a time of prayer and a time for you to kind of count the cost and determine for yourself whether you're ready to say yes to the work of the Spirit. And uh, I'm going to invite those of you who are serving communion uh, to go ahead and come up and uh, join me here. And uh, uh, the rest of us, let's just uh, bow our heads and let's close our eyes and pray together. Lord Jesus, I speak for myself and say I'm open. And as part of this church, and on behalf of this church, say we're open to whatever you've got for us. 
I keep thinking of that line from Scripture, you know what we're made of. We're made of dust. We're so prone to wander. We're so prone to forget. We love foolish things. So God, if there's going to be a, a great work of your Spirit or a renewal in our lives or in our families and our cities, it must be the work of your Spirit. And we say we're open to that. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit.